All right, Micah chapter 5. Started last week uh, uh, a series that um, I'm calling The Promise. Um, and uh, it's just the promise uh, that runs through uh, the Old Testament uh, of, the, uh, of the Messiah. And uh, it is um, from Genesis all the way uh, to the book of Malachi. It just repeated. Uh, some of them, if you're not real careful, you'll, you'll miss them. Uh, some of them are, are very uh, vague and, and you have to dig a little bit, uh, but uh, some of them are much more uh, clear uh, as to their uh, reference to the promise of a Messiah. Uh, they are known as uh, Messianic prophecies, and uh, again, the, the Old Testament is filled with them. We started uh, last week with the first one, back in the book of Genesis, the third chapter, and now we're going to go completely to the other end, and we're going to look at uh, one in the book of Micah uh, that is uh, a little bit more uh, clear than most of us would read and understand uh, to be a promise uh, of the Messiah. Uh, it is a promise of hope to the Jewish people. Hope is an amazing thing. Uh, hope is, uh, is, uh, is uh, absolutely uh, a, a life-changing, life-altering thing, or uh, perhaps I should say the lack of hope uh, is life-altering. Uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, and this, uh, even though they're rats, it's still kind of cruel uh, to, to think about this, but there was a, uh, a research project done uh, where they took rats and they, they put them in uh, a bucket of water, and they would tread water for a while, and just as they were about to go under and had tread, uh, tread water as long as they could, they would rescue them. And when they would uh, get rejuvenated, they'd put them back in. Again, even though they're rats, that's cruel. Uh, and, but they kept doing that over and over. And just as they were about to go under, uh, they, would, they would rescue them uh, and, and get those rats out. Uh, they, uh, then the other rats, uh, they had another group that they put in, and they just let them tread water till they gave up. Uh, and they went under. Uh, and the group that uh, had no hope, uh, the group that they hadn't rescued, uh, went under in, in a matter of just a few minutes. They, they gave up. Uh, they didn't see any hope. They clawed at the edges. They tried. They couldn't get out. They gave up, and they went under. That group that had been rescued a number of times, who they had hope that, once again, someone was going to come along and scoop them out of the water at the last minute, uh, they were able to tread water for like four times as long as the group that had no hope. Even rats understand hope. Uh, and uh, again, I know some of you are like, well, I didn't drown them all. Uh, some of you, I, I, I know my wife would have been that way. She would have been there pushing them all under. They, uh, you know, if, they, if there was never another rat on the planet, she would be good. Uh, but uh, regardless, that, that's still a little cruel, but it, it proves a point. The value, uh, the importance of hope. And that's what this passage was uh, for uh, the Jews. Uh, and hope is something they needed. It is something that is still needed uh, in our world today. Uh, we live in a world that uh, is uh, filled, every nation from, uh, from one spot on the globe to the other, uh, to all four corners uh, of, of the world. 
that, that, that this world uh, needs hope. There are people living uh, in desperation. There are people uh, just in, in outright despair. Uh, they are they, they see no uh, end to the misery uh, that they are living in. Many of them live in uh, countries where. Uh, there is practically no future, uh, no, uh, no hope at all uh, in that country. They're living in uh, many in poverty and uh, disease. We've all uh, seen the videos. We've seen the, uh, the things on television showing uh, some of these uh, countries. Uh, there are other places where uh, they're not in poverty and disease. They've got, uh, their country has great wealth, but uh, they still have no hope. Uh, many of these, there are countries who have uh, great wealth, but they have no knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they have no hope. Uh, they have no hope for the future. The future is just, uh, you know, we're just going to be reincarnated as a donkey, uh, whatever. Uh, we're just going to, eventually we're going to live, we're going to die, we're going to go back to dust, the end. Uh, they have uh, no future uh, to them. Uh, they have no purpose. They have no expectation uh, of anything uh, in their future. It's just day, the, the, the daily grind and, uh, you know, I'm going to live, I'm going to pay taxes, I'm going to die. Uh, that's just kind of the way uh, they, they are looking uh, at, at their life. They have, uh, again, whether it's personal tragedies or uh, some kind of disease or, uh, or, or a loved one uh, that, is, uh, that has strayed off and, or, or in some way uh, causing them grief and uh, problem. Maybe it's uh, mental uh, issues that uh, is... You can make a list that just is practically endless uh, of what is gnawing away at the hope uh, of most people. Uh, there's, you know, even here in America, uh, we have uh, many years ago now uh, developed what we call, uh, I believe it was developed during uh, President Carter, uh, during his time was, uh, I believe when it first was uh, created, what we call the misery index. Uh, and, and it takes in a number of factors. It takes in inflation, unemployment. Uh, it takes in a number of, uh, of factors and comes up with a score uh, and says this is how miserable uh, the average American is. Uh, imagine that. With all that we have in America, we're talking about how miserable we are. Uh, but uh, we have, uh, again, a people uh, with no hope. Uh, we, uh, you know, I, I don't ever remember in my life uh, there, you know, we've had a, a few skirmishes, but uh, in my life, uh, I, I really uh, don't remember a great deal uh, about Vietnam. I know something about it from history, but I don't remember it when it was actually going on, but uh, I don't remember uh, really a time when um, when we did, we haven't dealt with uh, at least the rumors of war, as the Bible calls it. It seems like there's uh, never been a time when uh, we weren't hearing about uh, if we weren't in it, there was a war somewhere, and if there was a war somewhere, we were on the edge of being drug into it. Uh, it's just uh, again the, the kind of uh, world, uh, off and on throughout most of our life, uh, we have uh, been in and out. Uh, of times of, uh, of fear, uh, of an economic collapse, uh, inflation, uh, those kinds of things. We have uh, had those kinds of things uh, hanging over uh, our head and We've had some wonderful uh, times in our history as well, obviously. Uh, but even in the, in the best of times, uh, 
there's always been an undercurrent uh, of things that uh, that were concerning us that uh, were kind of like uh, the little fellow in the in the in the peanuts cartoon with the you know the little dark cloud hanging over uh, his head. There's always been that time, but hope was exactly what God was offering in this passage. He was offering it uh, to the Jews and uh, offering it to, uh, to their situation uh, that was extremely dark and desperate. And what we do as we look at this passage is we look back and we see the circumstances that, that, that the Jews were in and we see the hope that God offered to those Jews and understand that our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He was a hope offerer, a hope provider for the Jews. He's still uh, a hope giver. And, and that is one of the things that we as Christians celebrate uh, during the Christmas season is the hope uh, that Christ bring, brings uh, into our life. The hope that He provides uh, into uh, our otherwise mundane, sometimes miserable uh, life. Earlier in the book of Micah, now, uh, if you want to go back and read the whole book, it won't take you uh, very long, but uh, in the third and fourth chapters of the book of Micah, uh, Micah has, uh, he's part of the reason uh, that the people don't have a lot of hope. Uh, because Micah uh, has prophesied uh, and told the people of impending judgment. Uh, the people had uh, strayed from God. They had strayed from worship. They had strayed from obedience. And, and you know that one of the things that, uh, that has been a theme with God in dealing with uh, the Jews was, if you will be obedient to me, I bless you. If you'll be obedient, if you'll follow my commands, if you'll do what, then I will bless you. But if you don't, if you can't listen, you got the feel. Uh, that, you know, that, that, that's uh, basically what he tells them. And so Micah has gave them uh, this warning that judgment is coming uh, on uh, on Israel. Uh, you can really read, if you want to read one section, chapter 3, uh, about the first dozen verses, uh, Micah lays out this impending judgment uh, that is coming uh, on Israel. And the people would soon uh, be desperate uh, and without hope. Uh, we today, uh, and, and I'm not... Um, in any way saying uh, war is not um, terrible in our day, but uh, we have, um, it's kind of sad that uh, as a world, as nations, we have uh, enacted rules and laws and uh, guidelines on how we're going to kill each other. Uh, you know, the Geneva Convention for one. Uh, we have certain rules about uh, what you are supposed to do uh, or not do in, in a time of war. Uh, I will let you know uh, that in those days, they didn't have a Geneva Convention. They didn't have uh, a Red Cross. They didn't have uh, the United Nations or anybody. Uh, it was every man for himself. And so when one nation attacked another, it was usually brutal and nasty. I mean, mean. Uh, part of what they did 
was not just to conquer, but to embarrass and to humiliate uh, their, uh, their, uh, their foe. And less than 200 years after Micah made these prophecies, Nebuchadnezzar uh, and his armies from Babylon uh, would lay siege onto Jerusalem. Now, most of us, uh, even with our current knowledge and the history channel and history taught in classes, uh, we don't have much understanding of what it meant when a country in this, when a, when a people in that day and time laid siege to another country. Uh, again, it was one of the most brutal things uh, that could possibly happen. Uh, it was a slow torturous uh, way to go, uh, to be conquered. Uh, it's one thing, uh, I guess, to have a bomb dropped on you and you surrender. Uh, this could go on for months and months and months when they laid the siege uh, on another nation. And in that environment, Micah says, you notice the word that starts verse 2. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful words in Scripture, but... Uh, verse 1 says, uh, reminds them judgment is coming. But God offers hope. God offers hope. And God says, I am sending a Messiah to bring you hope. Now again, Micah is obviously speaking to the Jews. The lesson is the same for you and I today. That when we uh, sometimes feel like we are under siege. We feel like we are at war. We are despaired. We are de uh, depressed. We are despised. We have to remember that God says, I bring hope into that situation. Look with me, if you will, at what happens in this story. Again, verse 1 is a reminder to us uh, and explains to us the people's dilemma. As, uh, as Michael writes uh, to these people, uh, he says in the first part uh, of verse 1 in chapter 5, he, we see the destruction that is promised. Look what he says. Now, gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. Uh, and he, he says, he hath laid siege against us. He, he, he calls uh, Jerusalem a city, a daughter of troops. Uh, he says, You're, you, you know, that, that's how bad it is. The, 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 you are, there are so many troops gathered around you. There is so, many, there is so large a, a contingent uh, of the enemy that has surrounded you that you, he calls them the daughter of troops. Now, he wasn't talking about the troops of the Jews. He was talking about the troops that were laying siege uh, onto uh, the city. And, and this passage, actually, uh, I would encourage you, again, I don't know who marks in the Bible, if you do, if you don't, whatever, but somehow uh, remember this passage because it has one of the greatest promises, uh, one of the greatest, uh, again, offers uh, of hope uh, in all uh, of Scripture. And that is the, the birth, uh, the arrival uh, of the Messiah, the Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, Himself. When we look back at this time, uh, from our vantage point, uh, we can really see it. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure the Jews in that time, from their vantage point, were like, you're right. Yeah, they didn't see it. 
Uh, but for you and I, we can look back, and, and we look back at it, and, and we learn about hope. We learn about the promise uh, of God and the promise uh, of Jesus Christ. You and I uh, can look at this and, and see so many details uh, that are predicted, so many details that are prophesied that God just orchestrates so that they would have hope. And what he does here, uh, Michael first prophesies that Jesus will be born, the Messiah will be born uh, in Bethlehem. But, that, that, that word, uh, sometimes it's a good word, this time it's a bad word. But, before that takes place, it's going to get ugly in the city. It's going to get bad in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's going to be conquered. Uh, it's going to be, again, uh, besieged. It is going to be uh, surrounded by the Babylonians. And, uh, again, Micah sees such a huge number here uh, of troops camped around uh, that he calls it, uh, again, the, the daughter, the city uh, of troops. And what, what he sees here, what, what he's talking about is Jerusalem... Like many of the cities, most of the cities in that time, was a walled city. And uh, that has an advantage, it also has a disadvantage. Uh, it, uh, you know, the walled city did, did, did two things. One, it kept the enemy out, but it kept you in. You know, there wasn't anywhere to run, there wasn't anywhere to hide. You, you, were, you were inside uh, of those walls. And Micah says, I, I see them surrounded uh, by this. And, and the, the, the men, the women, the boys, the girls, the children, the babies, everybody, rich, poor, you name it, they're going to be surrounded, they're going to be attacked, and they're going to be in great danger. It is going to be a horrible situation. Why? Because of the desperation that being under siege brings to a people. When we look at this passage and uh, we see the, the second part uh, of, of, of verse 1, he says to them there, he says, they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon his cheek. That, I don't think any of us even today, want to be smacked upside the head with a rock. I think we understand that's probably not a good thing. But in that day, it was, not only was it a matter of being smacked upside the head with a stick, it was a sign of humiliation. It was a sign of utter defeat. Imagine the circumstance. If you can go into another nation and you can get away with smacking the king upside the head with a stick, he's probably been defeated. His armies, you, you, you can imagine a normal circumstance. If you, you, you've probably seen even in our situation, not a king, uh, but uh, you've seen situations here in America with the president. When, when there's any threat whatsoever on the president and the Secret Service is what? Yeah. If you've seen the, the old videos uh, from back in 63 when, uh, when Kennedy was shot and the Secret Service guys are just diving over the back of the limousine to cover him up, putting their own... You know, if, if you can get away with smacking the king with the stick, guess what? His soldiers have probably been defeated. They, they, they've been beat down. Because if you would smack a king on an ordinary day with a stick, you got an idea of what would happen. 
you, you may die an immediate, really quick death, but you may die a really slow pain. It just kind of depends on the mood they were in. But he says, the king, he says, they're going to smack him in the cheek with a stick. And what that came from is when it says here that their city would be under siege, what that would amount to was the enemy would amass in force around your city walls. And many times they would begin building a heal, a, a burn around your walls so that they could come up and over. But before they did that, they would again, uh, what we call today in our language, an embargo. They would seek to cut off, first of all, and, and main thing they wanted to cut off was water. They wanted to stop you from being able to get water inside the walls. Well, you and I both uh, are wise enough to understand how long it would take before that got miserable. Yeah. You, you'd be walking around having somebody stinks. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, uh, you know, it wouldn't take long before cutting off a whole city's water. Anybody in here that's ever uh, you know, went for a period of time with no water, uh, whether it was you know, well problems or city problems, whatever, uh, you know, didn't pay your bill, whatever it was, uh, not having water, busted water line, it doesn't take but about what, a minute and a half before it gets miserable? Yeah, maybe not even that long. Yeah, there's something about water being cut off that just immediately makes you thirsty, doesn't it? Yeah, immediately makes you think, I need to take a shower. Yeah, immediately. They would cut off the water. They would cut off the food. Again, these were walled cities before the day and age of sewer systems. And so sewage was disposed of by carrying it outside of the city and dumping it. Can't do that anymore. I'll leave you to your own thoughts on that. And this would go on for months. It would often result in people just walking out of the city and surrendering to whatever fate the enemy might bestow on much like we saw on 9-11 when the fires in the buildings got so bad and people decided I'll take my chance jumping rather than staying in the building it would result many times in cannibalism It was a horrible way to do business. It was a horrible way to attack. You can imagine that then when you finally do decide to go into the city, the people are so emaciated, so weak, so puny, so, uh, so pathetic from a month, few months of not eating, not drinking, uh, living surrounded by sewage. They didn't put up much of a fight. We're pretty well shot. This was the situation that the Jews find themselves in. It was, again, just a relentless attack on anything and everything that the enemy could cut off to make life inside the walls more miserable. 
And Micah says, this is coming to Jerusalem. This is what Jerusalem is going to be going to do. And there is nothing your king, your leader, can do about it. In fact, when this siege was finally brought to its fruition, they let out the king. They brought the king out uh, of the city. We're not 100% sure, uh, but uh, most likely it was King Zedekiah. And they brought him out. Again, it says, hit him in the, struck him on the cheek with a, uh, with a rod. Historians tell us, combined with scripture, tell us that uh, when they attacked, they, uh, they take him captive and force him to watch them, the, the Babylonians, brutally execute his children. Once he saw that, then to be sure that was the last thing he ever saw, they gouged out his eyes before marching him blindly back to Babylon. That's how cruel the Babylonians were. That was why the Jews at this point had little, if any, hope. Zedekiah, again, was in that situation. And despite all of that, despite all of that, this is one of Micah's trademarks when you read his book. After giving them this horrible picture, again, we open verse 2 with this wonderful word where he says, but, but, we have this great announcement then that God is going to do something different. And so we have then the prophesied deliverance. Here is what God says to those with no hope. Those who are miserable. And here's what I want you to take today and work on in your own mind. You have heard the circumstance of why they had no hope. Of why they had no hope for the future. They understood. All Micah had to do was say, you're going to be under siege. And their mind, immediately, they knew what that meant. And then God comes along and offers them this promise. If people in that predicament, God says, you can have hope. I want to say to you this morning, there's nobody in this room, and I don't know what all you're facing. Some of you, I know some of it. Some of you, I know a lot of it. I don't know even who's joining us online. I don't know what, what you may be facing. But I know that if God could offer hope to people like this, then you and I can have hope. That if the promised Messiah would bring hope to people with this future, then there is no reason for you and I to live without hope. Notice what he says in this verse as we see this deliverance. Here, here's one of the beauties of this passage. God himself announces the birth of the Messiah at Bethlehem. And, and, and note again 
the, the big difference between verse 1 and, and, and verse 2. As we see again that opening word there, as God says, but, but, when you read these verses together, what you have, uh, just to paraphrase simply, is Jerusalem is going to be besieged, it is going to be embarrassed, you are going to be attacked, you are going to be put through one of the most brutal times in history. Your king will be humiliated, but a new king is coming. But a new king is coming. I think it was just last Sunday, I believe. Did we sing the king is coming last Sunday? I think the choir. But a new king is coming, is the hope that he gives. It's a common pattern, and again, the book of Micah. Give them the, the ugly, and then give them the but. But God. But God is always a hope. Notice the location. He says, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah. Now, let me just say right there, that word, it doesn't mean anything spectacular. It's just another name. Bethlehem had several names at different times. That was one of them. But Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. I'm sure you've heard preachers, teachers over the years. Uh, I have, if you've been listening, um, at different Christmas seasons, talk about the unlikely event of anybody besides God choosing Bethlehem for the birth of the Messiah. Um, that would be, um, oh, I don't even know how, I don't want, I'm not going to pick one. I was going to say it would be like being born in such and such city, but just as sure as I do, that'll be where somebody here or somebody online is, and you'll want to throw something at me. So, um, you know, this would be the same, I got it, I'll pick, I'll pick a, an old, some of you, you'll show your age here. This would be like being born in Hooterville of Green Acres fame. How's that? You know, that that's, you know, uh, and Petticoat Junction. There you go. Those of you who don't know what Green Acres and Petticoat Junction are, you're either too old and have forgot or you're too young and don't know, I'm sorry. You have been deprived in your lifetime. Okay, so I'm going to use it. it would, you know, being saying the Messiah the, the, to, to describe the misery that Judah uh, is facing and say your hope is going to come from Bethlehem. That would be like saying to America, you are about to face a major, major attack. You're going to be just form whatever problem. And Guatemala is going to come rescue you. Now that's about, you know, I'm not knocking, I, I, don't even, I couldn't find Guatemala on an app, man. It's just, uh, that's why I picked it, because I don't know much about it. You know, I know it's littler than us. I know there's a lot of people that are there wouldn't be here. I know that much. And so evidently, so, you know, your, your help is coming from Bethlehem. It is going to come. Why? Well, what's the significance of that? This Christ that is going to come. He's going to be uh, uh, born into uh, an oppressed, impoverished nation. Into a, into a bump 
on the road, if you will. He is going to come from a small, insignificant town that to the general population, the only people who cared what happened to Bethlehem were some of the people who lived in Bethlehem. Probably not even all the people who lived in Bethlehem. It was about as insignificant uh, a town as could possibly be chosen. He was, this Pope wasn't going to be born into a powerful family or a rich family. He, he, was, you know, he was going to be born into a working class family to a little teenage virgin girl. A carpenter was going to be his earthly father and he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's our hope. That's our hope. He's going to come and he's going to enter the world as a baby. Not a clothed in armor, warrior, and a long white horse with a big sword. That day's coming. He's going to come as a baby in a family. He's not coming to conquer, but he's coming to serve. Coming to serve. And that's your hope. That's the hope that you have. And if you don't think the people who heard this prophecy thought that, you're mistaken. They absolutely heard Bethlehem and went, what? What? A baby will be born in Bethlehem? Everything about that statement was like, what? What? But then we see the beautiful lesson at the end of this verse. Verse 2 says, yet, those are two good words, but and yet, yet out of thee, Bethlehem, you're nothing. You're insignificant. You're small. Nobody would care if you vanished from the earth. Yet, out of thee shall he come forth unto me. Notice that phrase. Why is he coming? He's coming unto me. He's going to be my servant. He's going to bring honor to me. He's coming. What did Jesus say over and over during his earthly ministry? I'm here to do the will of the Father. God, back when he told him he was coming, he says what? He's coming forth unto me. That is to be a ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been told from of old, from everlasting. From old, we looked at from the old and from the everlasting last week. Back in the book of Genesis, the third chapter, when, when God first said to the serpent, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. His going forth has been told of from Oh, this lesson, Micah predicted exactly where Christ would be born, the purpose that he was going to fulfill, that he was coming to see, to live among the people, to walk among the people for the great cause of God himself. He was coming for the purpose of glorifying God, of bringing honor to God. How did he do that? He did that by being obedient all the way to the cross is what scripture says. All the way to death. How did he bring glory to the Father? By being 
obedient, that he would be sent for the glory and the praise that God's name would be honored. Here they are. These are people that are in desperate need. They need a Savior. They need a hope. They need something. Their city is going to be attacked in the most merciless way known to man at the time. They didn't need a ruler. They needed a Savior. They needed a Savior. Not just one that would deliver them from their enemies, but one that would redeem them from their sin. See, what got them into that predicament was their sinful lifestyle, their evilness, their wickedness. They needed someone who wouldn't just come and destroy the Babylonians, because if you destroyed the Babylonians, the Syrians would have just went right back to sin. They've done it over and over again. They needed someone that would come and redeem them. They needed someone that would come and change them. That's our hope. We have the same need and the same hope as these Jews did. We need the exact same thing. We need someone. We are besieged by Satan. Any of you in here ever feel that way? I describe besieging in the military terms. Any of you ever in here feel like Satan's took up camp around your walls? He's got you surrounded, got your food, your water, your money, everything else cut off. And if something doesn't happen, you're going to starve to death. Maybe not literally. What do we need? We need hope. We need hope. Just like these Jews needed hope. They needed somebody that could come and bring them hope. They needed someone that could bring them a promise. Jeremiah writes these words. He says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they <clears throat> shall be my people. That's our hope. That's our hope. It's not in whoever gets elected, was elected. It's not in Washington, D.C. It's not in some... Uh, doctor's office. It's not uh, in mankind. It's not in making more money. It's our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's where our hope rests. We're under siege just like these Jews were. Satan is doing everything he can to surround. Everything he can to destroy. And our only hope is in Jesus Christ. I don't know what the doctor said. I don't know what the tax man said. I don't know what the lawyer said. I don't know what your friends have said, what your parents have said, how bad they told you it is, or what they told you they would do for you. I'm here today to tell you that the only real hope we have is in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's our only hope. That is the only promise we have. The birth of that baby was for what was given. The promise of that baby, the prophecy of Christ was meant to give the Jews a hope to encourage you. Yes, the day looks dark. And there's darker days coming. But. Thank God. There's light. 
at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. There is hope. Michael presented this scenario. And I know that there were Jews in that crowd, just like there are people today, who all they heard was verse 1. All they heard was there's a siege coming. All they heard was we're going to be hungry after a while. All they heard was we're going to be attacked. And their minds went, that's all they heard. But Micah kept prophesying. He kept preaching. And he said, but God brings hope. Some of you have come into this building this morning. And all you can think of and all you can hear and all you're dwelling on is verse 1. All you can think of is the enemy that is surrounding. The enemy that is attacking. I'm here today to tell you, but God sent his only son so that we could have hope. I want you to understand that about 200 years after Micah made this prophecy, Babylon, as I said, indeed did attack and carried the Israelites away into captivity for 70 years. That's where we read the story of Daniel. That's where we read the story of the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. where we see the story of Nehemiah. But God, that in spite of that, you have hope. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not here today to tell you that if you follow God, if you obey every law, every precept, every principle in God's word, that you will never have a bad day. But I am here to tell you, there is hope in the midst of your darkest day. And his name is Jesus. The same hope these Jews had is the same hope we have today. It's the only hope we have. That little baby was born in a manger. He's coming one day. He didn't come on a white horse that day. But he's coming on a white horse. soul, eyes of fire to judge and to rule and to redeem his people. That's our hope. That's our only hope. There's no hope in Washington. There's no hope in Raleigh. There's no hope uptown in the government center. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. There's somebody in this building this morning, just like those Jews. You're discouraged. You're depressed. Nothing you've designed, nothing you thought was going to happen has turned out the way you planned. I just came by this morning to tell you that God's Word tells us there's hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. 
Some of you in here this morning, you put your trust in him. You put your faith in him. You know him as your Savior. But Satan is laying siege. He's attacked. You feel surrounded. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. As you come this morning and kneel and say, Lord, I just need a fresh feeling, a fresh reminder of your hope. Your hope for my marriage. Your hope for my children. Your hope for my income, my, 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 my wages, my bills. Your hope for my job. Your hope for my health. Doctor has no hope. Taxman has no hope. Lawyers have no hope. When you hope, you don't just have hope, you are. God, I pray this morning you give me some up. Just fill me with that hope. Be able to trust you. Be able to follow. You hear this one, you don't know Christ as you're saying. Can I tell you something? As much as I talked about hope this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, if you've never asked him into your heart, young or old, I don't care how young you are, how old you are, can I be honest with you this morning, you have no hope. You think you're going to stand before God one day and somehow reason and debate, I'm not as bad as him? No hope. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Then you'll have hope that goes beyond explanation. You don't know him personally today, you can I want to show you from God's word how you can leave him with hope. That's the Christmas season in a nutshell. Father, I thank you for your words. That I ask you to stir our hearts. There are believers in this room. There are believers joining us online. God, because of their circumstance, they feel like the Jews, they're under siege and they don't have much hope. God, you're a hope giver. God, I pray this morning that we'll kneel, we'll accept the hope, we'll allow you to comfort, we'll allow you to bring peace that passes all understanding. Whatever that circumstance is. God, for the one here today that doesn't know Christ, God, I pray that you speak to their heart. You're telling the only soul that the only hope they have is salvation through Jesus Christ. That's their hope for eternity. So I move here in our midst this morning. We give you the honor of the Lord, which is Jesus, and I as we stand here. Oh, my God. 
distinction. Again, Neil and I did win, uh, uh, if you take one of those names, the awards was huge uh, to bring those back this week, uh, either Wednesday night uh, or next Sunday. Uh, if you can't, if your circumstances have changed, don't be embarrassed. Just bring you back to task so we can hand you, okay? Uh, and um, we'll, we'll take care of it. Uh, we need to get those uh, together uh, so they can get them distributed. All right? Let's bow as we do this. Heavenly Father, come to you today. Uh, Lord, grateful uh, for the hope that you provide in a dark and desperate world. Do not besieged by the Babylonians at all times with wickedness and evil and despair and discouragement. Uh, Lord, we know that you are the God of hope. And Lord, we just ask you uh, to speak that hope in our hearts today, this Christmas season. We give you the glory and the honor for us. It's in Jesus' love and in our Amen.